Super Talk Mississippi media production. State Treasurer David McRae is returning record amounts of money to Mississippians, whether it's through the College and Career Savings Program or the millions in unclaimed money awaiting your claim. Treasurer David McRae says get your application and claims today. Treasury.ms.gov. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert, along with a Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this Friday Eve. Heck, dang yeah, we made it <laughs> so far. Yeah, so far. What a delightful day it is today. It cleared off to be one yesterday. This is more springy. Like, as they say. Well, I uh, appreciate Dave filling in yesterday, and what a great time we had up at the Community on Tuesday, the East Mississippi Community College, Community. I got to tell you, that was um, quite the display of capitalism in action. Of course, The hiring process, the employment process, an integral part of the capitalistic system without government involvement there. Utilizing this beautiful facility, a a large number of companies looking for workers, they set up shop there for a few hours, over 400 prospective employees make their way through the the hall there, the seminar room. It's a beautiful place. And just watching them interact was, um, it was kind of heartwarming, honestly. And it, it kind of brought me back to those days when we would exhibit and constantly looking for great people to join our team. And that's what was going on here. And it's uh, it's two-way selling is what it is. Two-way selling. The companies selling their value proposition, the prospective workers selling theirs. And they get together, they make a deal, and everybody's happy. That's the goal. That's the objective. Gainful employment in exchange for producing, contributing to uh, the goals, the objectives of those companies, and that serves society. That's how it works. And they make money doing it. Now, yesterday, you got uh, 
Howard Schultz, you know who he is. He's the founder, CEO of Starbucks. Now, you may not be a big Starbucks fan, and that's fine, and you, you see them as being a little too socially active for your tastes. No pun intended there. I just think the coffee tastes burnt. <laughs> that's fine. Just personal opinion. Well, he was up on the hill yesterday with um, your buddy, Bonnie Sanders. Give me all your money. <laughs> that's where he was. And the Democrats were grilling uh, the former Starbucks CEO. He doesn't serve in that role anymore. They, they grilled him yesterday because uh, they, they claim the Democrats do that he's engaged in union busting. Union busting. Because he has resisted widespread efforts to unionize the Starbucks labor force. But I honestly thought he did a great job. And he got into a bit of a conflict, a confrontation with Bernie Sanders because Bernie kept referring to him as a billionaire. You're a billionaire. It's true. He's a billionaire. But Schultz was quick to point out that I earned it. He said that on the Hill. I earned it. Wow. Bravo. He earned it because he got into a bit of a heated exchange, but he earned it because he did create products that the market likes. Guess what? And so they're willing to, as we've said so many times, part with their hard-earned dollars. Sometimes it costs lots of dollars, by the way, to buy Starbucks coffee. But they're willing to do it. They stand in line for it. Because they value the the experience. And it made Schultz a billionaire. Bravo! Great! Fantastic! I don't know how many people they employ, but it's a bunch. Think about all the real estate they have across the the globe. And he he, uh, was quick to rebut uh, Sanders. He said, your billionaire moniker constantly is unfair. Yes, I have a billion of dollars. I earned it. No one gave it to me, and I've shared it constantly with the people of Starbucks. He grew up in tenement housing in Brooklyn. Dirt poor. Figured out a way to get out of that situation. Again, created something that provides enormous value. You may not think it's valuable, but enough people do to make him a billionaire and to build a sizable company with a bunch of employees. I mean, you have to have insane demand for your product or service if in major metropolitan areas you have one of your locations right across the street from another of your locations. Precisely right. Great point there, Rhino. When I was making my regular trips to New York, staying in Manhattan, because that's where all the Wall Street private investment firms were, 
I pulled up the Starbucks app. I enjoy the coffee. I don't get the frou-frou coffee, as I call it. I just get the basic uh, $2, it's $3 coffee, I guess, now, depending on the size you get. But I remember pulling up the app. Their app is great, honestly. And and in the app, you can say, you know, show me all the stores nearby, my location, using the GPS built into the, the operating system and so forth. My gosh, there's green dots all over the place. There's like more in three blocks in Manhattan than there are in the entire state of Mississippi, probably. And you're so right. There'd be one across the street. And they're all full. And, oh, yeah. And the other thing I learned, because I would often be often be restless knowing I had a big presentation, I'd fly in, big presentation the next day. And I'd be restless and just want to take a walk. Back when New York was incredibly safe, you could do that. One o'clock in the morning. All Starbucks are open and packed with people. Well, man, it is the city that never sleeps. That's right. And maybe that's why there's a lot of wealth there. Anybody ever think about that? Because people are up working a lot. Not like France. You know, we talked about that the other day. No emails after hours. You go to jail for that. You idiots. But Schultz defending himself is defending himself to Sanders. He's probably done more for the people who vote for Sanders and his Democrat counterparts than anybody in corporate America. You talk about a diverse staff? Is there another company? You walk in any one of them, it's incredibly diverse. And I don't think that's intentional necessarily. It just works out that way. But what I noticed, Rhino, is that Sanders wouldn't let him speak every time he tried to defend his billionaire status. Well, I earned it. He kept talking over him. What, is he afraid of the guy expressing that assertion? I earned it, dude. I haven't lived off the government like you. Well, in Bernie's mind, no one could possibly earn that themselves. They had to steal it from someone. Well, you're right. They exploited the workers. I've actually talked to some of the workers. Just that they're mostly young folks, and they they've engaged with me. Hey, what do you do, Mister Gibbert? You know, they know who you are because your card has your name in it, stuff. And I've told them, you know, my history and and what I do, and they kind of laugh about. It. I ask them, what what are your plans? And and many of them, it's like interim work. You know, that delayed gratification thing. They get that. They're paying their way through school, something like that. But I've asked them, what's it like working here? They all say it's great. Say the pay is great. The benefits are great. We get treated well. I'm saying, well, okay, what's the problem then, Bernie? Not enough union cronyism for you, dude? What's the deal? He's insanely, is he not? Just like our friend Robert Reich. I use our friend with tongue-in-cheek, of course. They're insanely jealous and resentful. I do believe that of folks like this, who just lifted them up by their bootstraps, leveraged their talents, their God-given talents to create value for society, and they got rich doing it. Bravo capitalism. We've got Nettie Winters, president of Mission Mississippi, joining us next in the Element Well Studios. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's do it. 
Welcome back, everyone. Midday, Super Talk Mississippi. We are in the Element Well Studios. We welcome now Nettie Winters, president of uh, Mission Mississippi. Nettie, good to see you, sir, and thanks good, for coming good to in. See you. Thank you for inviting me to be here. Yes, sir. So 30 years this organization has uh, been in existence. Uh, that's quite the milestone. Give us uh, – uh, a bit about the mission of Mission Mississippi. Sure. Uh, 30 years ago, uh, 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 well, probably 31 years ago, as a group of people were praying for uh, reconciliation. Actually, we were praying for a citywide crusade in Jackson, and it ended up becoming Mission Mississippi. So we're excited that over the last 30 years, uh, we've been attempting to get us to live well we've been getting people to live beyond the barriers and live reconciled yeah and so we started as a, a movement in the body of christ to reconcile races across racial lines so communities throughout mississippi can better understand the gospel uh, most recently our mission statement just says to to encourage and demonstrate grace in the body of christ across racial line that communities throughout mississippi can see Practical evidence. We want to say we want to get beyond the strife, the hatred, the, the prejudice, the bigotry, the anger, all the stuff that's I call remnants of uh, racism. We want to get beyond that and live like Christ uh, died for us to live. And so we're excited that we've been around for 30 years. We feel like the prayers of the righteous has been prevailing. 30 years uh, is a long time for a nonprofit Christian organization yeah. to be in existence, and uh, we're excited about that. And this, uh, the group who kind of hatched this idea was was uh, some clergy and some business leaders, right? Yeah. Uh, I, you know, the person that really had this call on their life was Lee Paris, which yeah, is a non-clergy. Yeah. And so Lee, this is his baby, I call it. He birthed this. God uh, used him to bring us all together. So you had as many businessmen and clergy people together uh, praying. And uh, Pat Morley. Uh, and Tom Skinner came to town and, and wanted to convince us that they should be the voices uh, to take forward the crusade that we were planning. And, in fact, they helped us with that. And uh, out of that came this movement of Mission Mississippi to encourage grace. Yeah. So uh, how do you feel, Nettie, Mississippi has done in terms of uh, breaking uh, away from, no pun intended, the, the shackles of uh, the the racism through the decades that kind of haunted our state, and, and many and many outside of our state really associate Mississippi with that history. <laughs> How have we done since then? We have done good. Okay. Uh, many people don't believe that we've done good. And we've been leading the way. Uh, with this racial reconciliation, uh, what I like to call living reconciled, because we've been reconciled through Christ. So we've been challenged folks to do that. We're the only state that I know in this nation, even probably in the world, that our primary focus is only on race relations in the body of Christ. And it's the only Christian organization that has it, their primary focus. Let me put it that way. And so we're leading the way. In doing this, people are calling uh, me and, and my staff and, and, and people in Mississippi and talking about, you know, what's this thing of Mission Mississippi, uh, how you all do this. And so I've gotten the privilege to travel around the United States and share what we're doing in Mississippi. My predecessor, Dolph Weary, had taken this message to, uh, of all places, Liberia, Africa, and was able to meet with, out of the 16 tribes and all of that, what's going on there. He had 14 of them together and talked about the model of Mission Mississippi. So we're excited that. 
the difference in us, let me put it this way, the difference in us and them is that we're taking on the issues that we know we have and we're facing them head on and doing what we can to change that. And we come a long ways in doing that. Of course, we've got a lot of work to do. Sin will never be removed from the face of the earth until Jesus shows up again. So we're excited that we're a part of what he's doing in this season to uh, uh, encourage folks to live as he wants us to live. Yeah, I've always felt, Nettie, that, and appreciate that, I've always felt that uh, the composition of our population, where there's not a, a huge delta uh, between the, the whites in our population, white people, and minorities and black people, that it's a relatively small gap. And so we better learn to live together because you can't you can't really go isolate and escape. And, it, and it's unique in our state relative to other states. Yeah. You know, um, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, growing up, my mother was a maid. And uh, it always puzzled me that people could invite her to come into their home. One in particular she worked for uh, during the whole time she was made. How they could invite her into their home and turn everything over to her food, children, yeah. a whole nine yards. But there was some tension always there. And I'm thinking, how can you trust me to fix your food, yeah. raise your children, and Good do all that, and, and then don't consider me a full human being, whatever the case yeah. might be. But we've come a long ways from those days. Uh, we got a good track record of moving forward, cutting the edge stuff in Mississippi as it relates to race relation. We know we got the problem, so we're dealing with it as with other issues and things. And so we're excited to say that um, uh, we're moving forward. Um, uh, you know, we've in the past we've done the, the governor's leadership luncheon or the governor's luncheon, the mayor's luncheon. So, uh, uh, one of our previous governors uh, said in public uh, on stage that the greatest uh, uh, impact that has been on his life outside of God and his wife is Mission Mississippi. And uh, wow. when he was lieutenant governor, he used to run around to Dobson. I would say, we ought to get him to speak on behalf of us the way he's always promoting <laughs> Michigan, Mississippi, and yeah. so forth. So it has an impact. You know, does it always show up when it's supposed to show up, how it's supposed to show up? No, we're still human beings. We still got to deal with our flesh, our nature, sure. those kinds of things. So, but we're actually people to spot each other grace. Yeah. You know, except for grace, what would we be? Except for the forgiveness, love of Christ, what would we be? We coined this phrase, gracism. Gracism is extending to others the grace and forgiveness and love that you have received from Christ. That's not a big deal. I'm trying as Christian, we're called to do that. So why can't we live that out? I like it. In a way that it, it, it doesn't matter what color you are or what gender or even yeah. what political party you are. You ought to be able to sit down to the table as brothers and sisters in Christ and reason together. Are we all going to agree? No. Ask my wife for 51 plus years. You know, no, we're not going to always agree. And uh, we're still learning how to do that. And I imagine uh, she'll get to heaven one day and Peter had to tell her, you know, Nettie was right. I don't know what she <laughs> Listen to audience, if I want my wife to know I said that, I'll tell her myself, right? <laughs> but you know, seriously, this thing is like a marriage. It's like a brother and sister thing. And so Mission Mississippi is celebrating 30 years of people praying together, people working together. Uh, there are relationships in Mississippi that were no way that they would have been in friendship and relationship outside of the the, the call of Mission Mississippi on their yeah. lives, that they connected a prayer breakfast or they connected at some of our events. And out came that is a, is a relationship. And, and so we try to get people in the room and sit at the table and reason together about the things that we disagree on. There's no question about it. This is not a unit. It's not a unionized or a united, those things of you. This is a unity in the body of Christ, and that don't mean sameness. 
You know, unity, yeah. as, as Tony Evans and others have defined it, but I like Tony's version of what he says, unity is working in harmony toward a shared goal or a shared vision. Even yeah. heathens can do that. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. And so, you know, we don't have to be adversarial in our relationship, but we don't have right. to agree on it. But we don't have a choice there. As you say, we're in close proximity to each other. And I think when we get out of here, it's going to even be in close proximity to one another. So we need to get used to living in close proximity to one another now by learning how to love each other and so forth. I tell some people sometimes, well, what are you going to do? You're going to commute in from the birds and everything? Right. You can't do yeah, that. Can't do it. Right. <laughs> well, um, I, I remember, and I'm, I, I know you do as well, uh, school integration yep. in Mississippi and busing and yep. all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was a big deal, and a lot of people oh, wow. tried to stand in the way of that. Yeah. Uh, but but now, I, I mean, all aspects of our society are, are fully integrated, as they yeah. should be. Our neighborhoods are as well. You know, uh, Tony Evans make that point as well. He said we are we can do sports, entertainment. We can even gamble together and other things, but in the church we can't do that. What's yeah. up with that? Yeah, you know, yeah, that's so, a good point. So you know, when I was I teach a class over at Bell Haven, and one of the things I was sharing with them on yesterday, I said, "When was the school fully integrated in your community?" You know, the the, the thing said in fifty four, fifty four, fifty five, the decision came down and had to do that. Yeah. Took us from fifty four and fifty five to what most schools were not fully integrated in Mississippi until the early seventies. Yeah, and that's a long late sixties, early seventies. That's right. And and, uh, you know, I, I don't know. And, and the church was, in a way, I, I like to use this word. I like to use big words when I can. And implicit and complicit is part. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. They, it makes they, sense. You know, we, was, we could be part of it. We should have been the solution. But we became part of the problem. That's true. And and then we compounded the problem. That's why I get the implicit complicit. So there are opportunities we've had in the past to, to to straighten this thing out. So our goal with Mission Mississippi is to build authentic relationships across Mississippi that are trustful, respectful, and truthful. And if you can do that, you can get through any condition and circumstance and move forward together. So we want to help communities uh, be transformed toward living reconciled. We're not there yet, but we want to do that. And so today, the 30th of March, we're celebrating 30 years awesome. beyond barriers through living reconciled. Congratulations on the success of Mission Mississippi and uh, and its uh, its tenure. It's long. It's long term duration. That's yeah. that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Appreciate you coming in, Eddie. Appreciate your your great words. In your yeah. in your leadership. So well, thank, thank you. you. I yeah. would like to invite folks to come to the museums today in Jackson at 3 p.m. as we kick off and lunch our 30 year celebration. Come and be a part of that. It's free, and uh, we'll have food. God bless you. Appreciate it. Thank you, Nettie. Coming right back in the Element Well Studio. Stay with us. It is with Gerard Gibbert. It is on on Super Talk Mississippi. Raised on Radio album 1986. 
Also includes Only the Young, which is one of our our intro songs. One of the hours here on Middays. Ben from Madison says, I swear Chick-fil-A could do the same thing with respect to our discussion about Walmart. Uh, pardon, <laughs> Starbucks. Have Walmart on the brain. Yeah, I, this is so crazy in my view that the the Democrats in particular and the Bernie Sanders wing of the party, but it seems to me that it's kind of taken hold across the entire party, certainly the president, who bashes success and wealth. And, I mean, the, like as if the billionaires are just the most heinous people on the planet. They never seem to point out any of their contributions to society. And I think it's their anti-capitalist views. How else do you explain it? And wanting to impose all these limits on how much wealth you can achieve, and they want to do that through just confiscating your wealth and just sending it out some other door to programs. You may have seen that the president of Temple University, you see this, resigned, I believe today. Temple, located in the middle of Philadelphia, been there a few times. When I, I think I talked about working in New Jersey. And, uh, of course, you're not far from Philly there. I, I went to some basketball games. Ole Miss actually played Temple. Back when Temple was a big-time, great basketball program, fantastic facility there on campus. The, the first thing you notice, Rhino, if you look at any pictures, the entire university there is situated on some city blocks in the middle of Philadelphia in an older, not-so-great area. Now, this was... 20-some years ago when I was there, but huge iron fence all the way around the place. People I knew that I worked with, uh, one person, a graduate, said that the football practice field, literally adjacent to a fairly rough street, that it was not unusual for the players to find spent casings fire uh, gun casings on the football field when they're practicing. They come in the next day. Well, the president basically disregarded the crime on the campus. I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, weren't there was some uh, criticism of the way he handled, I believe, the shooting of uh, a university police officer not so long ago. But lots of crime on campus, problems. But you know what what he was more focused on? Spouting his anti-capitalist views. Everything is the fault of capitalism. That's what's happening on our college campuses. It doesn't make any sense, does it? You think about it. All All these schools are engaged in capitalism. They charge a pretty penny. Ivy League schools now, 80 grand a year. 80 grand! With room and board and all the other expenses, sounds to me like after five years, 
you could have probably 750 grand in an education. In Russian prose or something, right? Which is worthless. Oh, but you got that sheepskin. But all of these schools, it seems like, are busy promoting Marxism, socialism, trashing capitalism, yet they're engaged in it. And why would you spend all this money on an education to enter a workforce where the government manages it to the point where your your fate, your compensation, your jobs already been determined by the government. That's socialism. Not that you, gosh, if you get this degree or degrees and you, you learn and you, you at least got some entry-level skills and you take those to the workforce and you work hard, you prove your value, you either ascend the ladder within your company or perhaps you start your own deal and you leverage capitalism, the markets, to produce Wealth. I thought that's the whole purpose. Am I missing something there? Of going to school. I thought that was the whole purpose. Why go to school if that's not the purpose? Hanging a degree on your wall don't mean squat. It's just, you're just getting started. I know they don't want to hear that. But it's a license to learn is what it is. Go learn how to learn because it never stops. Never stops. And those that understand that, they do pretty well. But but uh, this university president at Temple, he didn't address the crime. Because, you know, that would be racist. But he was pretty proficient at messaging to the student population there, capitalism, bad, evil. Wow. It's just incredible. Ben says, good interview. Mr. Winters sounds like a really good person. It's so easy to divide these days. It's nice to hear a message of unity every now and then. I agree, Ben, and I uh, also wanted to share that uh, Nettie in, uh, is a member of the same Rotary Club that I'm a member in. And uh, he's been an active member in the Rotary, highly respected. And that's the way he is. The way he was here, just the way he is all the time. Uh, always positive, you know, you don't detect any bitterness, I don't, anytime I, I've been around him and seen him in action for years as being part of that rotary, but yeah, we need more of that. I know Mr. Paris as well, he was at Ole Miss when I was there. Uh, his wife, my wife, sorority sisters, so a great, uh, the chapel at Ole Miss, the Paris Chapel, named for his father, so... A uh, great guy and um, a great business person, and, and glad to see he get involved here um, as well. I didn't I didn't know that until today that this was uh, something he he was involved in. Appreciate that. Our first grade year of grammar school we integrated in Fulton, 1966. I don't remember one problem of any kind among us kids. We had great times together all the way through graduation in 1978. This is from Barry Wren in Golden, Mississippi. Never do I remember any racial issues. We are still good friends today, 
and we'll have a blast at our upcoming 45-year reunion. Thanks for that message, Barry. I, I agree with you, and, and it seems like we dwell so much in society these days on all these so-called inequities, and we've got to push for equity, and we've got to force diversity and force inclusion, which is doesn't accomplish squat. And we've spent an enormous amount of money. Hundreds of billions, potentially, Rhino, if you look across the spectrum of the private sector, the public sector, and we've got a president who says that DEI is a central theme in all of his policymaking. It certainly has been in his selection of members of his cabinet. Does it seem that that was based on qualifications or experience, performance, value proposition, merit? It's possible to have a harmonious society, a respectful society, one that just respects the dignity of humans. That's where it starts. That's God's message. It's possible to do that side-by-side with a merit-based society. It's possible. What we hear from the left is, no, that's not possible. Can't do that. You've got to essentially figure in other factors (laughs) other than merit and qualifications and performance and capabilities and experience. You've got to do that. And so we say this one day after the nominee for superintendent of the Mississippi Department of Education was rejected by the state Senate. We, we called attention to this. You remember, Rhino, in November when we did a little homework on Mr. Taylor, the nominee that the State Board of Education hired. He assumed the position. He was hired in November, assumed the position in January. He's been active in the role. What a mess. Now the state Senate says, says, nope, he ain't the guy. We'll talk about uh, that a little bit more. We've got Ali Jasper from uh, MEMA on at 1137 today. Stay with us. Are we going to do this? Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk Mississippi. Meg Jones, a foreigner. We are back in the Element Well Studios. All right, Rhino, Harrison County, what's going on there? Yeah, there are a couple reports that have been making the rounds on social media, and it's confusing because it's happening in two different places, both named Harrison Central High School. Apparently, a prank has been pulled at both Harrison Central on the Gulf Coast and Harrison Central in New York where someone called in a fake threat and caused a lockdown. But from everything I've seen, the local news is reporting that the police have given the all clear. Okay. It's just weird that it happened in two places on opposite sides of the country with the same name. Yeah, it is really weird. Uh, But 
You know, I believe you'd rather be safe than sorry, as the old saying goes, and I don't think you can be too careful. And that's the situation we have here. It's uh, especially in a school environment. Unbelievable. Robert and Brandon says, did you see the response from Oklahoma Senator Mullen regarding Bernie's tirade? I did. Bravo, Mullen. He called out Sanders. And uh, they got into a bit of a dust-up, verbal dust-up. He said, uh, let me look at that again. Uh, why is it that Mr. Schultz, who actually creates jobs, a bestseller of a book, isn't creating any jobs? Why is it that he's corrupt and you're not? <laughs> Bernie, of course, selling books. Why is it that all CEOs are corrupt because they're wealthy? And yet our chairman, who is wealthy, talking about Sanders, and I'm glad you are. You're not? He asked Sanders. Sanders was shaking his head. Sanders... Uh, he went back at him, <laughs> said that uh, Mullen hit an all-time record <laughs> of misstatements. <laughs> all-time record. You've made more misstatements in a shorter period of time than I have ever heard. He said he was worth, uh, Mullen's suggested that he's worth $8 bucks. Sanders. I don't think it's quite that much. He said... <laughs> You've made some misstatements. I'm not worth $8 million. If that's true, that's good news to me. I'm not aware of that. It's a lie. He did acknowledge, however, that he does meet the millionaire status test. Remember, he, he kind of changed his, his uh, refrain there and his critique from using the word millionaire to billionaire somewhere along the line so he wouldn't be critiquing himself. And he says, Today in America, we have more income and wealth inequality than we've ever had with the top 1% owning more wealth than the bottom 90% with CEOs now making 400 times more than their workers. And with three people on top now owning more wealth than the bottom half of American society. That's the economic reality that exists today. You're right, Bernie. It's a great thing, isn't it? It just means that our opportunistic, capitalistic society honestly makes these opportunities. That's what you're entitled to. Not, not outcomes, opportunities. We all have them. There's some in society that just did a better job than others in leveraging, capitalizing on those opportunities. And thus they created enormous wealth. Because like you said, Rhino, when you got that many people that want your stuff, that's the secret. That's the key. The more people that want your stuff, the wealthier you get. Because whatever it is you created is so valuable, everybody wants it. And a perfect example of you can't fool everybody for very long. Remember Beanie Babies? I do. Remember how they were the craze? That was because T.Y., the people making Beanie Babies, artificially introduced scarcity. It's true. Well, when you 
take that away because demand is up and you're trying to increase your profits, suddenly the demand just plummets. Exactly right. So you can't even fake it till you make it. The market The market you. will find you out. Something I saw yesterday in an article, not an article, pardon me, an interview with Steve Forbes that uh, made so much sense to me. So much sense to me. And here's what he said. Rather than government control, like Bernie wants, of so many facets of our economy, why don't we trust the innate genius of the American public? That's brilliant. i got to use that. I'm all over that now. I love that. The innate genius of the people. Way smarter than stupid government. We're coming right back with more on Midday. Stay with us. Why can't you be true? You done started back doing the thing you used to do. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Well, the Dow has lost a lot of steam since it's been open. It opened up, uh, up around 200. Now up... 21. Not sure what's uh, got investors pulling back and hitting the sell button right now, but they certainly are. We did get reports uh, regarding GDP for the fourth quarter. We did get that unemployment data, and that came in with a revision for the fourth quarter downward, I believe. But the other thing was that the unemployment data ticked up. And, again, it's a bad news is good news deal because that indicates that the uh, the markets feel the Fed may pull back on its rate-hiking regimen as they see the job numbers come out and show that Jobs are being lost, being shed, unemployment ticking up. That's a kind of cover for them to stand down on rate hiking. The market's like that. Jobless claims increased by 7,000 for the week ending March 25th to 198,000. Estimates were calling for 196,000. GDP increased 2.6% in the fourth quarter. That's the third estimate from the Bureau of Economic Analysis. That's below economist expectations for a gain of 2.7. So uh, an indication that the economy is slowing a bit is what that means. And, And unemployment ticking up, those are signs to the investment community that the Fed may 
maybe pause on their rate hiking. I, there's so many opinions on this. This is what makes the markets, though. All the smart folks, I've, I've been uh, consuming their opinions on where we headed on this, and it's everything from severe recession to know the Fed's going to start pulling back on rates. They Some are now predicting a decrease in July, which would be hard to fathom given that we've had nine since they started the the barrage of rate hikes uh, just a short year ago. So that's the that's kind of what's happening on the economic front. So there was something uh, oh on the ceasefire tax line the two two eight. Someone who disagrees with us like to always share their opinions as well. We're equal opportunists in terms of opinion sharing, you're unconsciously making Biden's point for him. In all caps, everything is about profits in this country, and no one gives a damn about the people of the country. Really. So if you pursue profit, you don't care about people. Wow. I see it as just the opposite. Really. If you pursue profit, well, I, I guess I'll go ahead and come clean here, Rhino. It's my 33 years of running a company. I rose every day thinking about how I could make more profit. See, here's what people like this don't get. You don't take care of people, no profit. They don't get that. Like, you can force people, come to work here, you're not going to get anything, or I'm going to pay you paltry wages. You don't hold a gun to people's head and do that. In fact, it's just the opposite. I have been known to beg and plead people to come to work for my company and offered everything I could, including higher wages than me, to come work. Because they produced... And it made us profitable. And it made us a better company. These are people who don't understand. Never sat in that chair. Never written a check. Never taken a risk. They don't get it. And guess who else you got to serve? The people who buy your stuff. That ain't good. Our mission, my company, I'll share it. Got to have a mission. What's your cause? What's your purpose? It was to help organizations achieve excellence by leveraging information technology. Real simply put, that's it. We want you to be as excellent as you can be. Sometimes that means the consumer would be a private sector customer, trying to help them achieve efficiencies, agility, productivity, improve their customer service, their work environment for their staff. Guess what comes out the other end of that? Profit. When you meld all those features together in not-for-profit, government, public sector entities, same deal. Want to make them be more efficient, more agile, more productive. Do more with less. For a long time, that was our, our slogan, helping you do more with less. That's why you automate No secret there. So are we wrong for pursuing profit through that value proposition? 
I thought that's what it's all about. What I miss? You missed the worthless mindset of the left and Democrats that believe you're only taking care of someone if you're allowing them to live their best life and be as lazy as possible, but still have a good life. Oh, I see. Well, I'll not apologize for expecting hard work. You know, that's racist, right? I'll not apologize for expecting that. And look, I I don't mean to call attention to me or my company here, because this example, or this scenario I'm describing, is um, an example of all these people out there doing this, all these entrepreneurs, and large companies as well. They all get it. You don't take care of your team. You don't take care of your customers. You don't survive. It's not just about you're less profitable. You fail is what happens. You don't provide value to the market. And the only way you do that is if you're taking care of your staff. They're like your family. you got to take care of them first. You don't want them to have to worry. I mean, that was like, I felt like I was consumed with that all the time. I don't want them to have to worry about that. I just want them to, to be able to focus on what their, their responsibil- responsibility is, what their task is, what their, what their duty is, what their role in the company is, so they can produce their best. That's what all these companies strive for. I promise. They do. They get it. And, and the best arbiter of that is the market. I've told the story before. We got young, brilliant engineers, especially in the security, cybersecurity world, where the demand for talent's like 10 to 1, opportunities to available bodies. And I'm exaggerating a little bit, but when we seek to hire them, and we scour the country by the way, looking for people like this. Because they're just so few. And they're like gold. But they'd come to my office and put their feet on my desk and tell me what I'm going to pay them and, and what their work environment was going to look like. And I'd say, okay, what else can I do for you? That's what this person doesn't get. It's because in order to have that value proposition, in order to warrant that pay or those benefits... You have to put in the work. Oh, okay. And people that vote Democrat and lean left that are bleeding heart liberals, they don't want to work hard because that means they actually have to do something. Oh, I see. Hard work, rugged individualism, can-do attitude. Remember, those are all elements of white supremacy. You're European principles, You're European um, ideology, I guess. Right? White European. We can't do that. Why do we care where it originated? If it produces the best outcomes for society, that's all we ought to care about. This is simple. Bringing up Schultz, who's certainly no hardcore conservative by any stretch, but I got to I took great satisfaction in seeing him defend his wealth. I earned it. Nobody handed it to me. That's what they always want to tell you that. Well, all these billionaires, it was just handed down and passed. No, it wasn't. There's 700 in the country, and like 80 something percent of them are all self made, like Schultz. 
He didn't just wake up one day as a billionaire. He grew up in the dang projects in New York, in Brooklyn, and was determined to find a better life for himself and his family. And in doing so, think of the enormous value he created for society. Don't just think about them selling coffee. Think about all the suppliers, hordes of them, that have all, uh uh-oh, profited because of his vision, his risk, his investment. That is capitalism right there. It's flawed, but it's still way better than the alternatives. Coming right back. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. What? What? This is so awesome. On Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well Studios. We thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, I get a little fired up and uh, can get a little ranty. Apologize for that, but not going to apologize for uh, the views and the positions and the opinions. Uh, Just simple as that. Because you can't have a country full of look-at-me's and gimme-gimme's that eventually collapses. That's, That's the fear, and that's why I get passionate about it and and I know I raise my voice because I am, am so concerned honestly it's like I just feel like don't you guys see you're you're killing the golden cow here and I I fear that I fear for the future of the country as we just drift downward more into this government control of everything and and this just march to mediocrity where someone's physical attributes are accounted higher than their contributions to society, their performance, their um, their qualifications, their experience. We're seeing this sweep the country right now, and it's disturbing. It's just a serious concern. And it's happening in the public sector. It's happening in the private sector. And... It, it's um, it's a more of a national security th- threat, I think, than folks are willing to admit. It's what, if you look at the size of our economy relative to the number of people and compare that to Russia and China, there's no comparison, honestly. And as, as they start to shift more to what, made us great, we're shifting more to what has held them back. That doesn't make any sense to me. And that's the concern. On the ceasefire tax line, Brandon from Corinth says, just because you and Richard Branson took and take care of your employees doesn't mean others are taking care of their team. There are companies out there that aren't taking care. They are exploiting. I believe hard work and meritocracy, but the ones getting the complaints aren't doing that. Being given opportunities for advancement isn't given as much as it used to be. Well, a couple of things, uh, Brandon. There's there's an economic side to advancement. You just can't create 
at new positions just so someone could have an opportunity to advance. Companies that don't have career paths where one can advance usually don't fare very well. They're not very profitable, honestly, because they can't keep their team, their most precious resource. Uh, and it's it's difficult. It's tough. Well, gosh, this person is performing really well, and we'd like to give them some way to advance in the company, but we're just limited. Uh, you end up creating positions and and um, bearing the cost of that where there's really no need. That's a problem. I've also had lots of people that said, I don't want to advance. I'm, I like what I'm doing. I'm comfortable uh, where I am. And, and of course, you, you try to figure out a way to make sure they're adequately compensated for their, their efforts. And, of course, you've got market forces out there that are trying to pick them off, poach them, Dealt with that on a constant basis. So I don't I don't know what you mean, Brandon, by exploiting. What does that mean exactly? Anytime I hear that, what does that mean, exploiting? Why does a person let themselves be exploited in a job? Eleven million jobs available in the country. I mean employers still, even in this economy which is starting to uh, pull back some, employers are still out there. Looking for workers. Wages are, are up. Unfortunately, not sufficient to overcome inflation. But if you look back during the Trump era of those four years, median household income shot up $6,000. It was a record. During the eight years under Obama, it was $4,000. And that was with virtually non-existent inflation. So that's real, real increase in in uh, household wealth when you've got that. So I don't know what you mean by exploit. And again, I... Well, he went on to say, I believe in capitalism and it's the best economy. But can you make sense to me, quote, we've made record profits, thank you for helping with, the, with record profits, end quote, but when you ask for a raise to live easier, they say we can't afford it, after they've already said the record profit statement. I would say find somebody else to work for. I mean, that just sounds like a, a company that doesn't value their employees to the point that they are willing to, to share uh, with them. This idea that you got these large companies that have a CEO that, that makes um, a high, has a high compensation package, most of which, by the way, is non-cash. A lot of people don't realize that. And when Bernie Sanders bashes all these guys like he does, these billionaires, if you go look at their their balance sheets, the vast majority of their wealth, like Musk and Bezos and so forth, it's held in their their equity holdings in their respective companies. It's not really liquid the way you think it is. They can't just go liquidate that and produce billions, because if they did, it'd tank the company. The asset would be worth nothing. What the heck's the CEO selling all their stock for? Oh, my gosh, I'm getting out. Well, there's in the company. They're not going to do that. So that's disingenuous, that, that contrast. But And the other point is, okay, you take a company that's got uh, a million employees, and the CEO's making, I don't know, 20 million bucks, and you, and you um, half that or something. That's peanuts to a company that produces $400 billion in revenue and has a $250 billion payroll. It's nothing. Okay, here's your 50 cents. I mean, that's 
so disingenuous when they when they look at it. When they make try to make that as if, oh yeah, if we just cut their pay, that'd fix everything. No, it wouldn't. It's a joke. They can't do math, it seems. Um, but I would just say, Brandon, that I, I've never encountered a company like that. I, I'm not saying they don't exist, but in my 33 years of working with a wide range of of companies, certainly in our industry, in the technology industry, I I, I could name a bunch of them that uh, acted and operated uh, just the opposite. Whenever they would have stellar years, they would share that with uh, their employees. And almost every great company, I'd say every great company, has some sort of variable compensation component um, to, to a large part of component of their staff where, you know, based on achievement of certain uh, certain results, they're, they're compensated through bonuses and stock option plans, etc. Gosh, most companies have those in place. I actually think we should figure out a way to implement that in government. Um, some people may disagree with that, but why couldn't we have outcome-based bonus structures implemented? It's, that's all possible. I, you know, that's not allowable under our statutes in state government. We, we should consider that. In my view, I mean, there's got a little bit of that in the education realm, but it's not quite to the level I think it could be, and and that's I think highly specialized in that respect. America needs more communism. That's what's going to save America. Bernie Sanders, 2024, on the 305. I'm not sure if that's serious. It's the first text we've ever gotten, or if that's a tongue-in-cheek statement. Gerard, as a small business owner, I have a program of pay and bonuses off of productivity. Well, there you go. We were just talking about that. This is Stephen from Greenville. I worked in management. What I do see and have seen is people want more money for less work, and most people live beyond their means. Well, I think that's because of the statement the other texter made, which is they're, they're – um, uh, these people aren't treating their folks correctly. They're not treating them fairly. They're, they're – um, I guess exploiting was the term that that Brandon made. Uh, yeah, and and government's telling them that it's those dirty, greedy corporations and CEOs, and uh, they're they're just the devil. I mean, they, so they've been promoting this narrative, and they hear it in college before they even got a job. They're telling them that, right? So, it, as long as we keep filling the heads of of um, our future workers. With this kind of nonsense, I think that's what happens. You condition them to coming out. Well, they're just going to hand me money, right? I don't have to work. And, and to a great extent, during the pandemic, that's exactly what's happened. They stay home. What is it Nancy Pelosi said? Unemployment is good. Unemployment benefits. You can maybe um, engage in activities that you've been putting off. You can go do be an artist or draw or something. Remember when she said that? that She tried to literally sell us on the idea of the virtues of unemployment benefits. Because you could stay at home and draw. That's how they think. That's why I get fired up about it when I hear nonsense like that. Incredible. Hunter in Columbus says, last year I didn't get much because it was a down year for our company, but this year I got over $2,000 because company did better. That's good to hear, Hunter. Great. Sounds like a good company you work for. I hope so. 
We're stepping aside for a break right here. When we come back, it's Ali Jasper, Public Information Officer from MEMA. Stay with us. Attention, adoring fans. It's time for Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well Studios, Super Talk Mississippi. Thanks for joining us today. And uh, joining us now, Allie Jasper, Public Information Officer with the Mississippi Emergency Management Agency. Allie, thanks for joining us on Middays. Give us an update on how things look there on the ground. Uh, after these tornadoes ripped through the state this past Friday. Right. Well, thank you for having us. Um, just wanted to give you an update on some numbers right now. What we're seeing, and these are just preliminary reports that are coming in, over 1,900 homes from this event have some type of damage. So that can be anywhere from just a few shingles that are missing to completely destroyed. So a lot of people across the state were affected by these storms and are definitely needing some help. Now, um, what I do want to say is it's encouraging to see all of the volunteers that have poured out to come help and that are there on the grounds working it is going to be a combined effort between our federal partners the state partners and on the local level as well as just um businesses and other people who have stepped up to volunteer is there anything uh ali that the average person can do that, that feels compelled to help wants to do something what what's the best way to do that Absolutely. Well, the American Red Cross and the Salvation Army are on the ground right now doing sheltering and feeding efforts. So that's a great place to start. We also have several donation sites across the state that are open and people can go there to donate as well. Um, right now, they are overwhelmed with water. They're not taking any more clothing. What they need now are things like um, diapers, pull-ups, infant cereal, plastic cutlery toilet paper, things of that nature. So if you want to, you can go to msema.org. You can find that list of donation sites and drop off things there. Yeah. It, it is, uh, it's been rumored, at least, that the, uh, the areas affected have received so much water. And that was, of course, one of the first things you need. Uh, humans just need water. There's so much there, they can't even get it out. Yeah, there is a lot of water. That's one of the first things that is gone out in these disasters. But there is a lot of water there right now. So we want to make sure that it's not wasted. 
So right now, another thing that people need, if you think about it, um, those with uh, medical issues, diabetes and things, they need sports drinks, Gatorades to make sure that their sugar levels are where they need to be. Yeah, that's a good, good point as well. And, and I think I saw where uh, Commissioner Cheney uh, issued an order directing insurers uh, to, uh, I guess, just expeditiously handle filling of prescriptions and so forth and and not wait for prior approval and, and uh, I guess, um, some of the other red tape that's typical uh, just to make sure people have the prescriptions they need. They're without that right now. Absolutely. And in an emergency declaration, you can cut through some of that red tape that is up to to get things expedited like that. So that is at least one good thing. Of course, we're we're not excited that this tragedy has occurred but that is at least one good thing is that we can expedite those things to where we are directly helping the people on the ground and those who have been affected by this yeah so and you touched on it earlier so at this point mema is working i assume with fema red cross a number of other organizations as well as well um help us understand kind of what uh, what that looks like what's the operating model there is there a particular organization that kind of takes charge and directs and orchestrates or is it just a full collaborative effort it is definitely a combined effort between fema mema the local emergency management agencies as well as volunteer groups and business who have stepped in this this is going to take everyone to recover from i do want to say anyone who is maybe listening that does have damage to their homes you can go ahead and apply for assistance. See if you qualify. You can do that by going to the FEMA disasterassistance.gov website. There's also a number and you can download the FEMA app as well. There are several types of assistance that FEMA is offering. So you can go ahead, start that application, get in, see what you qualify for. All of that is on msema.org as well. Yeah, and and so I believe as as well that the state government has tapped some emergency funding that's also been made available uh, to those who were impacted. Is that true? And and uh, are you familiar with that? Is there a process for that? That would be if that would be from the governor. Um, so you would have to get that from him. Okay. Um, as far as MEMA is con- concerned. There is there are multiple multiple hands on deck that are making sure that these people are getting the help that they need when they need it. And we should keep in mind, should we not, Allie, that right now there's a high degree of focus on it because it, th- this tragedy occurred uh, less than a week ago. But this is going to be ongoing. the The impact is going to be felt for a long time. There's going to be lots of need to recover these communities. Oh, my goodness. The city of Rolling Fork will never look the same. You're going to rebuild that from the ground up. This is not something that's going to happen overnight, of course. It's going to take months, more likely years, to recover from this event. Wow. And and we've also seen our federal delegation has, has been on the ground as well, and I'm sure they're in contact with the Biden administration to ensure that all resources are made available. I saw a report late last night that apparently the president is headed – uh, to the area, I believe tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken. So, yes. it, will there be some communications there with uh, folks from the Biden administration over and above, with the president coming over and above what's already been transpiring between MEMA and FEMA? 
Absolutely. There is no timeline on the presidential visit as of right now. Okay. We will update people on that when it comes right now. There's not a timeline on that, but um, but yes, he is expected to visit the area tomorrow. Yeah. And I've said it on the show uh, a few days ago. We, we're calling on the private sector, uh, our faith communities as well, to do all the can. Not that many haven't. I'm certainly uh, aware that many have stepped up, and we're very grateful for that. But this is a time when we just can't rely 100% on government to help out here. Absolutely. And if we just take a look back at Katrina, just because that's that's where our minds go to with this sort of devastation, it did take those faith-based organizations and volunteer groups to recover from that. It's going to be an all-hands-on-deck thing to recover in these communities. It's it's heartbreaking for sure, and, and you can't help but also bear in mind that this is uh, one of the most impoverished areas of our state and of the country. So, uh, a lot of these folks really don't have insurance, don't have uh, a lot of uh, spare uh, safety net type resources to rely on to rebuild their lives. Right. And I just want to say, MEMA already has boots on the ground. Help is there. More help is coming. There will be housing initiatives that come along with this. All of it is in motion to get those people the help that they need. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, it, it truly is. This is not something you guys ever expect, but this is what you're trained for. This is what the team's trained for. This is this is when they spring into action. Seems like we've had more than our fair share, doesn't it, Allie, the last few years here? It absolutely does. And you're right. This is, this is what we pray does not happen. But the day is here. It's happened. We're ready. We've got all the people in place to make sure that... We're giving the best help that we can, and it's a seven twenty four effort, right? You, you don't, you're not just working, say a business hour type schedule. I mean, the staff is <laughs> around the clock. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, there, there is tons of people here at the state emergency operations center that are making sure that people are getting the rest that they need and tapping other people in. But yes, it is a 24 seven operation. Cause I know many of them work overtime as well. They don't just work their, their limited sort of standard work hour shift. Uh, they, they work not. before and after that a lot of overlap because the, the task is so large. The task is so large. Are you working? The with- task is large. The need, the need is large. Yeah. No doubt about it. Uh, and are you working with your counterparts in other states as well? Or, or are they offering assistance? Are you calling on them to help out? Yeah, so in emergency management, we have something called the EMAC, which is the Emergency Management Assistance Compact that basically is just saying that all of the states have an agreement that if we need each other, we can call on each other and they will come help. And I will go ahead and say that we have had some people that have EMAC to our state from other states that are here on the ground to lend their assistance and their knowledge on how to get this going, and how to make sure that we are giving the people what they need. Gotcha. Allie, thanks so much for calling in and giving us uh, this this update. Really appreciate that. Appreciate all the efforts of the great team at at MEMA. Uh, God bless them, and we continue to pray for those affected. Thanks a lot, Allie. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Can I say one more thing? Sure, sure. 
Okay. Um, it's just, we, I've been on the ground. I've seen the devastation and it is, it's overwhelming. But I think for our state, what is more overwhelming and we see this time and time again with every single disaster is the Mississippians who put their own jobs and their own schedules and their own needs aside to stand up and help our neighbors. And I just think if, if, if this is what it takes to get there, may, we don't want it, but it's. Come on. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. We are in the Element Wealth Studios, and we thank you so much for joining us. So, yeah, get a little fired up on that on that subject, probably more than any, when we talk about the uh, the private sector and government intervention into it, and just the contrast in economic systems. I freely acknowledge that capitalism there there are some some downsides and sometimes it gets abused. Crony capitalism, what I would call it, can be a problem, no doubt. Still though, way better, way better. Not even close to other economic systems. Even the boom bust cycle is better than constant pervasive misery and poverty. So true which is exactly what you get in other forms, other economic systems, other economic models. And the other thing that comes up, and, I, and I'm not trying to pick a bone here with Brandon from Corinth who said there's companies that exploit their workers. I'm not exactly sure what's meant by that. When I think about exploit, I think about people are being abused somehow, and they don't have a way out. And I would argue that, gosh, given the current landscape of uh, of the job market, there are plenty, plenty, plenty of other opportunities. It may not be what you want to do, but there are lots of opportunities and lots of opportunities to gain the skills to take on some of those jobs that don't really require a whole lot of money, just some effort. But the question always comes to mind, okay, well, what do you want to do? You want government to intervene? Because Otherwise, if you don't let the market do its thing, as Steve Forbes said, which I'm going to, I've adopted it. That's my new phrase. The innate genius of the American public. That's fantastic. That, of course, think of the greater than sign, greater than government, (laughs) socialism, control, management. Which is what Bernie Sanders wants. That's why he's mad at Schultz. Because he can't stick his dirty, greedy fingers. That's what greed is, by the way. Schultz isn't greed because greedy because he produced value for society, global society, and became a millionaire, a billionaire en route. Sanders is the one who is greedy 
because he wants to essentially assert control of that asset, which Schultz built. That's greed. You don't you didn't earn it, as Schultz said. I earned my wealth. Sanders hasn't earned squat. He got elected, and getting elected to the U.S. Senate, that doesn't confer to you the power and authority to just commandeer private sector assets, which is what he wants. That's greed. You go build it, and after you do, I'm just going to take it over. That's blatant greed. Not taking risk, not putting a vision into practice, not sacrificing and producing value for society and getting wealthy as a result. That's not greed. just isn't. It's why so much of what the planet relies on for their very existence came out of this country. Healthcare is an example, something pretty much everybody's going to use at some point. All the healthcare advance, not all, the vast majority of healthcare advances, medical technology, treatments, therapies, devices, etc., all came out of this country. Very few from abroad. That's just one example. All this sophisticated, powerful technology we all use to power our lives on a daily basis. Where it came from? This country. Not others. They try to replicate it. They try to copy it. Try to steal it. Why China? (laughs) I mean, they work overtime to try to extract and gather up all this information (laughs) so that they can replicate it in their society because their system, their economic system really doesn't doesn't promote it. I mean, they have some pockets of it, but not to the extent that exists in this country. And that's with a three and a half times the population. You think they would produce more, but they don't because their economic system holds them back. You know why? Because the people who run the place over there, they're the greed. They're the greedy people. The Politburo, that's brazen greed right there. We're stepping aside for Fox News and Super Talk News. We're coming right back for another hour in the Element Wealth Studios. And now, now. another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. And there it is, folks, Only the Young, from the Raised on Radio album, 1986, Journey. 
Gerard, please tell people to not bring used clothing to the tornado recovery areas. There's no place for storage. That's Gary and Meridian. You heard that, Ronald? Yeah, that's one of the things that people tend to think of first when they think of how they can help as well. I was meaning to take these clothes to the Salvation Army drop-off, but I can send them to the tornado victims. I got you. The problem is if like in the case of Rolling Fork, where the town has been flattened and they're looking for places to put people to lay their head, they don't have anywhere to store clothing in a way that they could then hand it out. Yeah. It would just probably wind up in a pile outside, exposed to the elements, and then would be worthless very shortly. Makes sense. Got you. Thank you. I mean, just think about when you drive by any Salvation Army drop box. Yeah. You'll you'll drive by, and sometimes it'll be completely empty and then other times it'll be overflowing and full and there's stuff outside of it that's getting burnt i've seen that and that's just with people normally giving to it now imagine all the attention and focus you you wind up with a mountain of clothes that can't be put to good use yeah makes total sense dan in hattiesburg says i work for a unionized company i work hard and make a decent living but unfortunately so does the guy that hardly works. Well, that's all about equal outcomes. There's your equity right there. That's why I get fired up about this, because that is a recipe for failure. That is, a that is again, a march to mediocrity. And I'm sorry to hear that, Dan. I know it's happening. Um, again, in every corner of society, public, private sector alike. Incredible. On the ceasefire text line, someone um, disagreed with my suggestion that we implement some form of bonus pay, incentive pay, variable pay structure in the public sector. Said totally disagree with you on the notion of incentivizing the government sector. That's why Joe Biden has been in government for 50 years and somehow became a millionaire. Well, I'm not talking about elected officials. Uh, let me be clear on that, if I wasn't before. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about uh, those within the agency complex at all levels of government that it really interact more with the public in provision of government services than do the elected officials. i got to believe that there's a way to... Um, devise a bonus structure for most of these positions. Certainly the, uh, the, it, the management ranks, but I think you could carry that on, on down through the line workers as well, where those um, incentives, those financial incentives are based on desirable outcomes that produce maximum ROI for the taxpayer. I still believe that's possible. I'm not suggesting that I have any particular rubrics in mind, but smart people can figure it out. And if we can't identify, hey, what is what is the best outcome that should be produced of this particular entity, this agency, this department? Well, that's even bigger problems if we don't know what that is. Seems to me like and they need to be reasonable. They need to be measurable. Like like uh, any situation where someone has some goals that they're uh, strive for, to... I would say a good hypothetical would be getting your driver's license renewed. Okay, 
imagine how much more efficient that whole process would be if the people giving out your license were competing for, say, $1,000 Christmas bonus for whoever can process the most. Good point. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I... um Something Instead that, of trying to do as few as possible in the shift that they're allotted. Agree. Because it doesn't make any difference, right? Whether you do one the whole shift or ten. Just hypothetically again. Right. It um, doesn't make any difference. pays the same. I think that's why we get a lot of complacency, a lot of apathy. So um, I, I just believe that smart people, again, could, could uh, come together to devise some of these metrics, implement them, and I think we would see that that would save taxpayer money, that that would produce better outcomes for society. I think there's also a great deal of protectionism that goes on in government, protecting jobs that honestly could be either eliminated or automated, but we, we tend to protect those, uh, certainly those who are in office, usually are, are sensitive to that because it could affect their election outcome. So there's some of that going on as well that sort of contradicts pursuit of, a, of a efficiency and agility and maximum ROI and outcome, that not the same as as the private sector, I'm just suggesting suggesting to introduce a little of what works well in the private sector. That uh, humans are, like it or not, they're coin-operated. We just are. It's not a bad thing whatsoever. It's just human nature. It's reality. Didn't, wasn't, wasn't there accounts, Rhino, of back in the really strict... Uh, communist regime days of the USSR that they found that when they gave those who were, for example, responsible for uh, supplying the, that, that nation's food and, and growing crops, taking care of farm animals and so forth, that when they allowed them to carve out some part of that land for their own use to sell their, their yield, it, it turns out that that yield was a lot higher than the government property. You oh, know yeah. what I'm talking about. I mean, that's just like, oh, no, duh. I mean, so you're telling me no matter what, I yield on this government property, this this communist-owned asset, whatever I get in exchange for that's the same. Doesn't matter. I guess maybe... You could get killed as the alternative. They may just come out and assassinate you. You're you're useless. I guess that would be a bit of an incentive. But you you certainly could achieve the bare minimum and stay alive. Um, and that would be what you were shooting for was just above minimum. Yeah. Instead of, wow, if I work a little harder and be a little more creative and innovative and apply a little more just human elbow grease gumption here, I could actually increase my standard of living. Wow. I think I might do that. And that's what they learned out of that process. That's why China is constantly trying to tell their people, anytime something bad happens here, look at what that capitalism does. So um, here, here's a problem. Somebody pointed this out 
earlier about um, uh, what's happening in China. I'm looking for that right now. I don't see it. I think it scrolled by. But uh, the, the point was that China is certainly looking more capitalistic. I agree. Totally agree. Here's what is sort of ironic, is that in this country we have a large swath of people that are trying to be like what failed in China, and what we got China doing is trying to be like more like what, what works over here and what, what produced the greatest nation on the face of the planet. The problem is with China, if you get too big for your britches, or you grow too much, or you're too successful, Xi Jinping's going to go, you know what? I like that. Mine. Yeah, exactly. Just take it from you. Uh, Exactly. Mo says, speaking of driver's license renewal, made an appointment. Make an appointment. My wife and I showed up on a Wednesday and was told there would be two to three hour wait. So we made an appointment. And came back. We were out of there in 15 minutes. Yeah, again, that's awesome. And again, what enabled that was automation. That's what enabled it. So somebody made money creating those tools? Think about that, the capitalism. Sold those to the government. The government invested in it. Better return for the taxpayers. Better service. That's how it works. Made government more efficient. And they made a little money to boot. Tim from... From Tupelo, you can get the driver's license renewed. Yes, renewed online faster, but every so often in the cycle, right, you got to go back and update your photo, I think. It's the way it works. Yeah, I don't know exactly when it is, but there is a, a point where you can no longer do it online. Yeah. Or if you need to change it, or if you need to change your ad. I mean, you can only get it online if everything stays the same. Yeah, that's right. So we've got uh, questions. Uh, Larry Mize wants to know about the... Uh, the Senate, the state Senate, not voting to confirm the nomination for uh, state superintendent Robert Taylor. We'll come back and discuss that. Stay with us. the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert, Middays with Gerard, Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome to Earth, Earth Rock from the Sun. She walks into Smokies one hip at a time like a broken field runner slipping through the line. He likes the way she looks, so he calls a little wife, says, don't wait up for me, I'll be working late tonight. Wife hangs up the phone, burst into tears. Calls All right, we are back in the Element Well Studios before I talk about the rejection of the State Board of Education's selection to lead the Department of Education as state superintendent. Mose said, did you see that China and Brazil have agreed to replace the dollar? Yeah, they're engaging in transactions between the the countries that are using uh, their own country's currencies and essentially ditching the U.S. dollars. I think, Mose, it's a huge mistake that's going to come back and uh, bite 
them in the old rear, as it said. I think it's a bit arrogant and pompous on their part. I understand what they're trying to do, but I do think they will pay the price for it. Both of these countries, well, let's be honest, China, you, you just don't know. You can't trust whatsoever. And they don't want you to know. It's intentional. And Brazil is struggling desperately, economically as well. Um, China is Brazil's largest export market, which is one of the reasons. And China's strong-armed them. Hey, you want our market? That's the thing. That's the carrot China has to offer. We got a bunch of people here that buy stuff. And Lord knows the worst thing that could happen for the world is for them to, again, really start to shift more towards a capitalistic economic system while this country seems to be more concerned with with pronouns and gender ideology and equity. Whereas China, no. They're, uh, they don't believe in that. You don't produce. You find your, your head hanging somewhere. So they're working on the next generation of quantum computers, and we've got the president of a major university, that being Temple, who resigned today that wouldn't address the, the, uh, the critical problems at the school, but rather was just too obsessed and consumed with telling students how bad capitalism is. It's just unbelievable when you think about it. All right. Robert uh, Taylor, questions on the ceasefire tax line. Larry and Mize, what are your thoughts on Robert Taylor's nomination getting rejected? I loved it. Well, as we said earlier, Rhino and I both kind of expressed – uh, concern and, and skepticism, honestly, as to whether or not he could survive a full Senate vote. And what immediately came to attention to me, uh, Rhino, and we talked about this, I think you can back me up on this on the air, was that Mr. Taylor is a registered Democrat. And what was a, a little perplexing to me is that we have uh, an all-Republican government, if you will, certainly our statewide leaders, our Speaker of the House, our Lieutenant Governor, our um, our Governor, our, our supermajorities in our houses. But the point here, specifically as it relates to the, the Board of Education, is that those positions are appointed by the Governor, the Speaker, the Lieutenant Governor. All of those who were appointed to those uh, positions, to the Board, eight of them, Four from the governor, two the lieutenant governor, two the speaker. All of those who appointed them were were elected Republicans. So we have elected Republicans appointing members to a board, that being the State Board of Education, who then select a registered Democrat to lead the Department of Education, the largest agency in the state in terms of dollars allocated, appropriated, a, a critical one for sure. And so that was a bit of a head-scratcher. He was hired in November, and in Mississippi, in accordance with statute, comes on board, subject to final approval, but you're put in place, you're employed. Board appointments work the same way. 
I, I can speak from my personal situation in 2018, August of 2018, when the Mississippi Lottery Company uh, Corporation, pardon me, was um, established by law in special session in August of 2018. Governor Phil Bryant named five members to the board. We conducted our first board meeting in November of 18. We weren't approved until March of 19. Because you've got to wait for the the legislature to convene, be in session, and then they typically do the appointments, as was the case this year, at the end of the session. So you're two and a half, three months into it. But Mr. Taylor um, was selected through a process that involved contracting with a third party, placement firm, search firm, and I think 26 candidates is the number that comes to mind. That uh, Yeah, with a short list of something like seven or eight. Okay. So you got a short list of seven or eight, and uh, as Rhino puts out, uh, points out, and, uh, and so they go through a process of uh, interviews and evaluating uh, resumes and qualifications and, and, of course, a series of questions asked of the candidates as part of that process that I think were help, uh, received help from the third party in constructing those questions. That's typically the way that works. Uh, and so they decided on Mr. Taylor. And... You know, I was skeptical, like I'm saying. I I just put it that way. We also had found that Mr. Taylor, in the past, had made some, I'll just call disparaging comments about uh, Mississippi. He is from Mississippi, attended the University of Southern Mississippi, I believe from Jones County. Is that right, Rhino? Is that what you recall? Original, sounds right. I'll yeah. have to confirm. Yeah, originally, and has been working in, in North Carolina uh, for quite some time. Yes, yeah, served as the Deputy State Superintendent for North Carolina. Be, uh, began work in Mississippi in January after not being impro- approved. 31-21 was the vote in the State Senate. Five Republicans voted to confirm uh, Mr. Taylor as well, and so those those five Republicans, uh, let's see, in, included. Uh, give me one second. Yeah, in, included. Uh, let's see, Carter, Senator Carter, Johnson, Hobson, Michelle, and Polk, five in the list I saw. So I believe they combined with all Democrats to uh, amount to 21 yays, 31 nays. And so confirmation didn't get through. And I think now the board will seek uh, and search for an interim to name an interim superintendent. So there were some who expressed concern that Mr. Taylor is not from Mississippi, though he was born here and educated here. There were some that felt like we should have hired someone from within the state. 
Um, Senator Daniel Sparks, Republican from Belmont, said that that did play somewhat of a role in his opposition. He also said that there were other factors, said that Mississippi needs a superintendent with a strong record of turning around underperforming schools, and that Taylor's answers on questions concerning that left him unconvinced. And he looked at his record in North Carolina and and, and didn't feel like that he showed uh, a great deal of success in doing just that. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman did release a statement saying he, he agreed with the no vote. He said the board sent over an appointment, but there were legitimate concerns about whether he was the right person for the job. With a position as important as the person overseeing the education of our children, senators should vote their conscience, and confirmation should not be taken lightly. I defer to the body and believe they made the right decision today. That was in a statement released yesterday by Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman. So this is somewhat unusual. You don't see a lot of uh, nominations for these uh, various positions that are named by governor, lieutenant governor, speaker of the house that don't pass through the Senate. It's a bit unusual. This is a big one, obviously. Maybe the biggest of all appointments, honestly, in the state of Mississippi. When you certainly consider the scope of the Department of Education, the amount of money uh, it receives, Mr. Uh, Taylor did make some disparaging comments about the state as well in uh, a few years ago. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studios. Half an hour left. Stay with us. Bring it on. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. get together. <laughs> An anthem of the chaotic 60s there, huh? The summer of love. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Flower power, man. Yeah, man. Make love, not war. Hate Ashbury and all that stuff. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> I thought about pulling out Anagata DeVita, but I'll save it for another day. <laughs> well... We could just set that thing up, and I could just take a nap. <laughs> yeah, take a nap for a couple of hours, right? So, yeah, uh, Mr. Taylor, Southern Miss alum, thirty-year veteran educator, began as a teacher's assistant in Mississippi, and then served in the North Carolina public schools throughout his career as a teacher, principal, district superintendent, and state education leaders as the. Deputy State Superintendent for the North 
Carolina Department of Public Instruction is how it is styled in that state. So the Board of Education has got to get together and find somebody else, an interim superintendent, and then conduct a new search. I got to tell you, folks, I'm not sure that I agree with this idea of we got to go hire a third party search firm and scour the nation in a national search. Maybe if you first invested some cycles in searching for a candidate inside from inside our borders. I feel like we ought to do that first. And if you come away and say, well, we couldn't find anybody, then maybe you engage. Surely there's somebody in the great state of Mississippi. Not not that it's necessarily a bad thing that we bring somebody in from out of state, but I just I'm not totally convinced that this idea of national search really is all it's pent up to be. Well, it obviously costs more to do a national search, and they still wound up with someone with Mississippi ties. That's true. And that that could have been perhaps the difference maker if, if it was felt that Mr. Taylor was maybe equal to some of the other candidates that are also from out of state, but had no Mississippi ties. The situation with the uh, the failing school districts in Mississippi, I certainly share Senator Sparks' concerns of that as well. But you start thinking about, all right, how do you address that? Well, the first thing I think you've got to do is identify what the root causes are of this. And there are a lot of moving parts, a lot of dynamics involved in successful education outcomes. If you think about all the all the the um, the pieces in play here, obviously you've got teachers, instructors, administrators, principals thinking on a, on a down at the school level, and then you've got the district, the board, superintendent of the district, and you could certainly evaluate. Those, those individuals, and then you've got the operational model, assets, resources, but I don't think you can overlook the families of the students in these poor-performing schools and districts. To what extent should society, should taxpayers expect families to have some so-called skin in the game? I think there's something to be said for the a student's home life and home environment as it is as it relates to and can be an influence, a factor in their performance in the classroom. How, how can you overlook that or discount that? I don't think you can. But it seems to me that the first thing you would do is look at the High-performing districts, what does their profile look like? What are they doing that seems to be working? How does that differ? Overlay that, contrast that to the poor-performing districts. What's missing? 
What about districts, uh, if there are any? And I haven't looked at all of them. And I don't have all this information at my disposal. But let's say you had districts, multiple, two, that have very similar profiles in terms of the socioeconomic status of the student population, and you and you look at you look at that, and one is performing well, one's not. What's the difference? What have they done to overcome that challenge? Let's replicate that. You know, I'm reminded of a of a uh, presentation I saw from the great author, motivational speaker Andy Andrews. No, I don't know if you guys are familiar with it. He's written a number of books. Andy Andrews from Alabama, I think, originally. And Andy, in, in one, I've seen him speak twice. He, he was speaking at business events. He's, he's incredibly fascinating, entertaining, insightful. And in one of his books, and I don't remember which particular one, but he's got lots of of uh, of of accounts and passages about successful people across the globe in all all sorts of areas, all sorts of human endeavors, and his and his message is, you know, if you want to be good at something, well then replicate, learn, understand, become informed of people that have succeeded in whatever that endeavor is, and apply that to your own life. So, for example, he said if you want to, you want to uh, produce a successful marriage, well, maybe learn about people who have been married a long time. Mr. Winters, who was just here, what did he say? 51 years. Incredible. How, how did he do it? What's his secret? He and his wife. Don't take cues from someone who's been divorced eight times. Liz Taylor, Johnny Carson, famous stars. Carson used to joke about it on his show all the time. I'm not saying he's a bad guy. I'm just saying that whatever was happening in his marriages obviously wasn't working. It would be beneficial to emulate his comedic timing or his charisma. It would not be beneficial to emulate his relationships. Yeah, there, there you go. Exactly. Well, Mr. Andrews is really good at making that point and delivering that message and wrote a book. And it's unbelievable, all the individuals from across so many different aspects of life, and, and he writes about them specifically. This is what they did to succeed. So think about that. Incorporate that. Learn from that. Makes total sense. And all I'm trying to say here is, well, gee, if we have high-performing districts in the same state and low-performing districts in the same state, maybe the low ought to take a look at what the high are doing and figure out, hey, we don't do that here. Well, that's your problem. And I'm oversimplifying it, of course. But in general, does that not make sense to do an analysis of, well, these are what these folks are doing here. This is what these folks are doing here. It seems to be working in those schools, those districts. You guys need to get on board. I mean, just boiling it down to... If nothing else, it is definitely a step in the right direction. Yeah. It, and again, one size does not fit all. No question about it. Not suggesting that. But there's some, I think, commonalities that seem to 
usually be critical to success in in any similar endeavor, such as educating youngsters. There's got to be some things that are just, you got to have this to make it work, no matter what. There could be some nuances, some adjustments, some tailoring based on your environment, your student population, your staff, your your instructional staff, etc. But you got to have this as a framework to undergird all that, or you're likely not to to succeed at the highest level. So, no, I'm not saying that has anything to do with Mr. Taylor. I'm just saying that I know that's the goal that you hear from so many in our state, which is we got to lift up the poor-performing districts, I also believe that school choice would go a long way towards uh, propping up and and, uh, bolstering the outcomes of uh, education in our state, and that's not something we seem to be able to get done here in Mississippi, though we heard uh, Ms. DeVos on a couple of days ago, a few days ago, last week, uh, talking about that. She's a big proponent of that. That is a movement that's sweeping the country. Mississippi needs to get on board, I believe. We're coming right back with the final segment here of Middays. We're in the Element Well Studios. Beginning comes from some other beginnings end. With Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. We are back in the Element Well Studios. So much to talk about, so little time. Rhino just told me that and sent me a video. Unbelievable. Some left-wing nuts have... It's an insurrection! (laughs) ...seized the Tennessee state capitol. What are they mad about? I couldn't even tell. Banning transgender surgery? Probably. Yeah. Unbelievable. Greg and Newton wants to know, why did they nominate a liberal to start with? Well, a couple of couple of things, a couple of thoughts on that, Greg. First, Rhino and I talked about this in November when we saw it, and 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 it um, some of his writings, papers had surfaced, and some of the comments he had made. Uh, for example, in one of his, um, let's see, in one of his uh, one of the one of the articles he wrote uh, on the University Center for Black Studies. I think this was at Southern. Yeah, he wrote a newsletter called The Unheard Word. And in that newsletter, he wrote, in my opinion, the University of Southern Mississippi was in the most racist state in the Union, and that while historical focus has always been on the University of Mississippi, Southern Miss had a past that was tainted as well. Well, I think if I'm if I'm interpreting Mr. Taylor's statement there correctly, he's he's asserting that Mississippi is one of the most racist states in the union. I not only beg to differ with him on that, I don't think that's appropriate, honestly. I, I think we should celebrate our 
accomplishments. And, um, you know, I'm just not sure. It's, it's, I guess, in question as to whether or not he still holds those views of the state. And this was a few years ago, 20, 2020, to be exact, is when this article Apparently, this has been taken down. I don't know that for sure. But I did read some of his other papers, and it's it's pretty clear to me that he does support critical race theory and its tenets, at least pieces of it, in the curricula for for students. You seen this? Oh yeah. I mean, is that the way you would would uh, couch it in analyzing I mean, what imagine. You're going to apply to be the CEO of Walmart. Yeah. You, you somehow got your foot in the door, and you're going to be the CEO of Walmart. But 10 years ago, you were all about hating on Walmart. I can't stand Walmart. They closed down mom-and-pop stores. They don't pay their people enough, yada, yada, yada. Pretty sure they would hold that against you if you were trying to get a big position at corporate Walmart. Yeah. Uh, so it's not unreasonable to think that the state of Mississippi said thanks but no thanks to someone calling the state racist when they're given the opportunity to be the state superintendent of education. That's right. I I, I think that's right. It's, um, I don't know. So the question is, why did they nom- nominate him? So the first thing that came to my mind, as I said earlier, is that he's a registered Democrat. And that doesn't mean you couldn't have a a, uh, a obviously a highly qualified Democrat that could keep their politics at bay. That's the that's the problem that you start getting concerned with. And when you read some of his his work, written work and statements like this, it calls that into question. In my view, um, I I do again wonder whether or not and. Uh, KC on the ceasefire text line sent a link to the search firm. Yeah, I, I saw that as well. It's, it's actually listed in the. Appreciate that, Casey. It's listed in the uh, in the various articles. I mean, there's no secret there that they uh, contracted with the, that group. Said, is there not? Casey says, is there not a competent conservative capable capable of running the Department of Ed? If you were having these last few words are not meant to be there. Um, oh, sorry. Uh, yeah. So, I, th- also to the question that was asked, why did they? That somebody asked, uh, why did they nominate uh, Greg and Newton? Yeah, a liberal. It does make you wonder if you think about, generally speaking, the pool from which these candidates would be selected. Are there any? I'm not sure, but it's that's a. I think that's a reasonable question. Or it's is academia a lot like Hollywood, where you have to hide conservative values or you get ostracized by your peers? Don't know. Certainly, if you look across America's college campuses, for example, if you think about that within the scope of the levels of education, I mean, a poll after poll shows is like 96% left in virtually every university president. Virtually. Not all, but most are highly left-leaning and uh, fully supportive of all this, the, these movements that are occurring uh, in our in our country, uh, like the Guide Temple that was more concerned about indoctrinating students there to 
the uh, the negative aspects of capitalism than protecting the safety of them. We're going to be back in the studios tomorrow. Until then, stay safe and God bless. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.